Good morning and happy Thursday, Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, and you are listening to Roadmap to Heaven this Thursday morning, July 7th. I have to tell you, it has been one of those weeks. I don't know what day it is. I, you know, earlier yesterday, I didn't even know what month it was. I was telling someone, I can't believe it's Wednesday, June 6th. And they said, Adam, it's Wednesday, July 6th. And I said, oh, yeah, that's correct. Well, never fear. All of our guests today know what day it is and they know what we're talking about. And uh, so even if I'm a little out of sorts, we still have a good show in store for you. But let's turn it all over to the Lord right now with our morning offering. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, yesterday we spoke with you about the uh, Carmelite Novena, and I just wanted to pass along one more time for you the monastery's website so that you can look up the uh, look up the speakers for the upcoming novena this weekend, and uh, it's it's a wonderful wonderful thing. So their their website is stlewiscarmel.com. That's stlewiscarmel.com. And again, that novena starts on Saturday. Uh, Father Mark Madden is going to be the presider and homilist for the mass on Saturday, and again the. Uh, Musical Prelude at 6.45, Benediction at 7.20, Rosary at 7.30, and then Holy Mass at 8 p.m. And hopefully, you know, I'm hoping that Mike Roberts is going to tell us today that it may not be as hot next week as it has been this week. Uh, I hope you've been beating the heat. I know my kids yesterday, I got home from the studios, and I said, what'd you do today? They said, we spent a lot of time in the sprinkler, Dad. At one point, we were just sitting in our chairs out in the sprinkler, and I said, that's a good way to beat the heat. I think between some popsicles and some sprinklers or maybe getting in the swimming pool. I said to one friend who had a swimming pool, I think I'm going to have to come over and jump in your pool. And she said, good luck, you'll be boiling in there. The water is so warm, you won't get any relief. And I was like, well, we'll have to take our chances and find that out. So who knows, maybe... Beth and the kids and I will uh, make it to a swimming pool after work today. I don't know. I don't know. I hear there might be storms. But again, it's, Mike Roberts is going to tell us all about that in a little bit. Today on the show, we're getting ready for the St. Bernadette Virtual Pilgrimage and Veneration of Relics this coming weekend here in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Now, Roadmap to Heaven, we like to say we are your live local morning radio show. And for all of our listeners in the Covenant Network areas, we always like to bring you content uh, from your area and related to your area. But one of the beautiful things is that kind of in the, the center of that, pretty easy drive for most of you is downtown St. Louis. And um, I just want to encourage you as we talk today about this opportunity to venerate the relics of St. Bernadette, if you feel so moved, make plans to come to town this weekend. Make plans to come to town, you know, from everything uh, that we'll be talking about. Monsignor Witt's going to be here to give us a biography of St. Bernadette. And then uh, recently we went on the road to visit with Father Nicholas Smith, who is the director of the Office of Worship and also the rector of the Old Cathedral in St. Louis, right underneath the arch. Uh, Coincidentally, also my pastor, um, who has been arranging for all of this uh, for the St. Louis stop as these relics have been traveling around the nation. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And then, of course, uh, Dr. Scott Hahn will be with us one last time to wrap up our three-day series on Eucharistic revival, and I am excited for that as well. Um, I I don't know about you. I've been loving everything he's been saying about the Blessed Sacrament. And, you know, we used to pray, open my eyes, Lord, to, to see you better, right? You know, that was something that we prayed a lot with the school kids when I worked at the parish. Um, because, you know, we know God's working in our lives, right? But sometimes we need our eyes open so we can better see how he is working in our lives. And I just absolutely love it. I, I absolutely love it because, as Dr. Hahn's been reflecting, my eyes have been opened more and more. So, again, stay tuned for that. That's going to be later in the hour. And if you miss it, you know, here's the best part. After we go off the air today, 
A few hours later, this show will be up on your favorite podcast app, so be sure to check that out. You can like it, you can share it, you can subscribe so you never miss an episode of Roadmap to Heaven. Um, If you're listening on the podcast right now, why don't you take a moment and do that? Hit like and subscribe. We, We very much appreciate it, and then share it with your friends. All of that and more on the show today, but before we get to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a look at today's weather. Today is the feast day of Blessed Ralph Milner and Father Roger Dickinson. Born in England in the early 16th century, Ralph was raised as a Protestant. He grew up to be a peasant farmer, and he and his wife had eight children. The Catholic Church at that time in England was under severe persecution, but in spite of that persecution, it continued. Ralph was so impressed with the faith of his Catholic neighbors that he converted. However, on the day he received his first Holy Communion, he was arrested for practicing Catholicism. While in prison, his own faith impressed the guards, who gave Ralph the freedom to come and go as he pleased. And in the process, he met Father Roger Dickinson. Father Dickinson grew up in England, studied in Reims, and then, after becoming a priest, was sent back to England as a missionary. He had already been arrested once, but had escaped. However, as he was being escorted by Ralph Milner to preach at a local village, Father Dickinson was arrested again, and both he and Ralph Milner were condemned. The judge, who did not want to execute Ralph Milner, tried to get him to make some small concession, even just visiting a Protestant church. But Ralph refused, and in spite of the pleas of his family, to renounce his faith and live, he remained steadfast in his Catholic faith. He and Father Dickinson were both executed on this day in 1591. Blessed Ralph Milner and Father Roger Dickinson, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and we are happy to be speaking with Monsignor Michael Witt today, our resident historian and and all <laughs> go to for all things church history. And you always bring your dog with you, which is like the bonus. First we get Monsignor Witt, <laughs> right. then then we get dog time. And I love when you bring your dog Ryan with you to the studio here. So Monsignor, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you, Adam. Good to be here. And we are getting ready for something that has never, it's never happened before. The relics of St. Bernadette are touring the United States of America. Not all of the relics, but some of the relics. They are coming to our very own old cathedral, the Basilica of St. Louis, King of France, right underneath the arch, July 8th, 9th, and 10th, so not too far away. And as a parishioner of the old cathedral, I can tell you there is no shortage of excitement about this, but really I think for the region, because this is, for most of our Covenant Network listeners, the closest stop on the tour. But before we talk about why go venerate the relics and and what that will entail, I think we need to set the stage with who is St. Bernadette and why do we hold her in such high esteem? And so, of course, Monsignor Witt is our our favorite historian. You are here today. So let's start with that question. Who was St. Bernadette? Well, she was a, a very poor little girl in the southernmost part of France, very close to the Spanish border uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains. Came from a family, a large, very poor family, eight kids. Some of the stories about their childhood are enough to make you cry. There's one case in which one of her brothers was uh, almost arrested because he had gotten into the church, local church, and was eating the candles. He was that hungry. He was eating beeswax. Wow. And uh, the police finally, they let him go. And there was all kinds of things like that. And so one day, she and a sister and a friend went out to gather wood. And they were gathering this wood when all of a sudden she fell down into a trance and looked up into this grotto and the girls were all very concerned about that and all. She was seeing a vision of the Blessed Lady. This continued on. Actually, when they got back home, the friend was such a, something of a schnitch, uh, went ahead and started telling people in the, in the village what happened. And we don't know for, for a fact, but the rumor has it that her mother, Bernadette's mother, actually beat her because she didn't want to have people conscious of, of the family. I don't know if that, that happened or not. but it, Anyway, her father forbade her from going back to that same spot. 
as French girls tend to do. They wrap their fathers around their fingers, and she got permission to do it anyway. Went back, another vision. This time around, more people began coming. And eventually, we know the story that she was told to go and dig a spot with her hands, and she began digging in this spot. And after several handfuls of dirt, water began coming out. And that water is there today. It's that miraculous water of Lourdes. Again, people were told, you can't go there. It was becoming a big deal where a lot of people were. The police were against it. The police commissioner was against it. The, the priest was against it. All the authorities were, you know, like, leave this thing alone. But a couple things happened. There was an elderly woman who had been blinded, and she went to that pool, and she washed her eyes, and she was able to see after that. And it was also a day laborer who had injured his hand, and he washed, and he was revived also. And so word got around about this. And then eventually, the police thought, this is getting out of hand. Hundreds of people were going to that spot. They were putting candles out. It could start a fire, the whole works, you know, the forest fire. And so they cordoned the entire area around and would not let anybody in there. Well, it just so happens that the emperor of France was on vacation down in Biarritz, and his son ended up with sunstroke, and it was very serious. There was no good treatment for it at that time. And so it turns out that the governess, the empress governess, heard about this miraculous water at Lourdes, and so she went. Police were like, what are you going to do? You, you know? can't tell the governess? <laughs> <laughs> no. And so they went ahead and allowed her to get several gallons of that water. She went back and bathed the young boy in it and had him drink a bit every day, and he recovered beautifully. So the emperor and his family go back to Paris. He goes back to work, and all of a sudden he remembers wait, my, my son was dying, and now he's fine, and this is something that's happening in my empire. You know, So he had a cabinet meeting, and they decided, we've got to do something about this. The finance minister of France, he offered to actually pay for the in installation of a railroad to Lourdes. There was nothing there. There were no roads. There was just a, a goat path leading to Lourdes from the city of Tarbes, and now... Uh, there's a railroad that goes in. He established a hostel so that pilgrims could come and, and be there. And it just took off. It is what it is today. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and I have friends who have made pilgrimage to Lourdes. I've and made it they twice. Ha- they have brought back the Lord's water, yeah. and, and it's a wonderful thing. I also think of, if you've ever been over to Belleville, to Our Lady of the Snows, mm-hmm. they have a Lord's Grotto. If you've only been there for the Way of Lights, when you're getting ready to leave and they have the manger scene outdoors, that's the Lord's Grotto. They're, they actually have an altar there. They have mass set mm-hmm. on certain days of the month. And it's not quite the full-size replica. I think it's a third the size yeah. of the grotto yeah. in Lourdes. But it, it's still something to give you some idea about this. So we've talked about the miracle of the water, but I think there are two other things we need to bring to our attention here. One, what does the Blessed Mother say to St. Bernadette? Because that that has repercussions through today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what happens is that the the priest kept on asking Bernadette, what's her name? Give me a name. I need to know her name. And because Bernadette was always calling her a carol, which is the local dialect for that one. And so eventually she convinces her to give her name, and Mary says, I am the Immaculate Conception. So Bernadette goes to Father Paramo and says, her name is I am the Immaculate Conception. Bernadette had no idea what that meant. In fact, in her entire life, she didn't know what that meant. Like you say, Adam, this fits in so much with all the apparitions that are happening in the 19th century. You know, you have the definition of the Immaculate Conception by Pope Pius IX, and the fact that at La Salette, these children there had had a vision of the Blessed Virgin, and she warned Pope Pius IX to not trust Napoleon. Well, these kids, they didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even know that Pius IX was Pope. They thought Pope Gregory XVI was still Pope. But he had died several weeks before, and Pius had been elected. And, uh, and Napoleon 
Napoleon had been dead for years. But what she was talking about was Napoleon III, tumultuous relationship that Napoleon III would have with Pope Pius. So you had that tie-in. Then, even more so, you go back to 1830 and the apparition that Catherine Laboret has. And if you remember in, in that beautiful chapel, and if you're ever in Paris, it's, it's really a, a, a must-visit and of a, a, a pilgrimage, and there the prayer is, O Mary, conceived without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Conceived without sin. So you've got affirmation after affirmation of the Immaculate Conception. And this is something we take for granted today, friends, because you know my entire life growing up, December 8th, you went to Mass for the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. But at the time that we're talking about, that was not a declared dogma of the Church. It was no. a widely held belief hadn't been declared dogma yet. So No, and it's interesting that the American bishops had actually appealed to Rome to, uh, to make the Immaculate Conception the patroness of the United States. And this was before the definition itself. Wow. The other thing I'd like to bring up about St. Bernadette, because, you know, eventually she goes on, she goes into the religious life, she yeah. becomes a, a religious sister, and then, as we all will do, she dies. And, and I'm thinking that, you know, someday when I die, they're going to stick me in a box and stick me in the ground, and eventually I'll decompose and turn to bones and all of those things. But that's not what happened no. with St. Bernadette. Yeah. Yeah, so 40 years after she died, her body was exhumed, and it was perfectly preserved. Then some of the sisters made the mistake of washing it, and it discolored her skin. And so they brought in an expert, and they waxed over. And, in fact, if you go to Nevers, uh, where she's uh, in, interred, you can see her. In fact, I was very privileged to celebrate Mass literally 10 feet away from her, the crystal coffin and, and all. Uh, so she's been twice exhumed, and in both cases, uh, perfectly preserved. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know that's happened before. The, I, correct me if I'm wrong. The term is incorruptible. Right. The, the body is incorruptible. And that has happened with saints before, but it's yeah. not a very common thing. No, it's not. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Monsignor, yeah. this has been a, a wonderful history of who St. Bernadette was and, and the lasting impact she has on our lives. Again, if you've ever been on pilgrimage to Lourdes or if you've ever been to Mass on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and you are Catholic, I mean, this all goes back to this time period and what a great effect and a great model St. Bernadette is for us. Could I give you two plugs also? You may. Okay. Great movie, The Song of Bernadette. It's a really, really good film. And it was very popular when it came out. I would recommend that. And then also Loretta Young did a special. It's called The Road to Lourdes. That is really worth seeing also. All right. The Song of Bernadette and The Road to Lourdes <coughs> with Loretta Young. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to look these up, and, and the great way to get ready for what's going to happen here. For more information on what is happening with the relics coming to St. Louis, well, stay tuned. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll be with Father Nicholas Smith of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, actually on the road in his office, talking about the veneration opportunity coming up. We are back, and as we mentioned before the break, we are on the road at the Cardinal Regali Center here in the Office of Worship with my pastor and the director of the Office of Worship for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, Father Nick Smith. Father, it's good to be with you today. Good to be with you as well. Happy so, to always be with you. Today we are talking about the upcoming visit of the relics of St. Bernadette Subaru, mm -hmm. a saint dear to my heart. Actually, the first parish I was a music director at here in the Archdiocese no, right. was St. Bernadette in Lima, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. long, long a part of my devotional life. This is an extraordinary opportunity because these relics have never left Europe to come to North America before. Exactly. And it's not something you often see, relics touring around the country mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. people to come mm -hmm. venerate. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the logistics of this, I wonder if you could share just a little bit about the why. Why take this opportunity for these relics to come? And perhaps there's a little bit of a connection close to you as well. Well, the why. It would probably be very similar to, and I don't know if it is or not, but I mean, when I was the Master of Ceremonies and was at the New Cathedral, I was contacted by the Knights of Columbus to host the relic of the 
heart of St. John Vianney, because he, that heart, was making various stops throughout the United States. And why were they doing that? I mean, of course, we know that St. John Vianney is a patron saint of priests, and uh, et cetera. And I think I was completely amazed by the number of people that turned out. I don't know what I envisioned, but it certainly was not, <laughs> was less than exactly what happened. There were probably about, I would say maybe 2,500 people that filed through the new cathedral in the span of about four hours max. I think, as you said, though, yeah, this is the first time that they have ever left Lourdes. The United States has never been, you know, the beneficiary of such a tour. And at the O Cathedral, we are saying that Bernadette is a rock star. And I just think that that's probably true universally. I mean, was a young woman of faith. Mary appeared to her and just the way that she lived out her life of faith, I think, is attractive to many people hopefully also our young people, and that might be the reason why she's coming here is because she's just such the rock star. Now, I'm, I'm thinking back to my timing with Monsignor Witt just before the break in her life, but at least closer than my date of birth and your date of birth, St. Bernadette's lifetime actually coincides a lot with the founding of the Archdiocese yes, and the cathedral. Yes, so, it does, yes. You know, two, mm-hmm. two things that are about, the, you know, a saint mm-hmm. and a diocese roughly yes, yes, the yes. same age. Yes, and you're, you're exactly right. So July 8th, mm-hmm. that's the big day, this coming yep. Friday, the relics will arrive at the old cathedral. There will be mass at 9 a.m. to mm-hmm. receive the relics mm-hmm. with Bishop Rivetuso. Mm-hmm. There will be opportunities for veneration throughout the day. And then on Saturday, they are coming to the Cardinal Regali Center in Shrewsbury. Right. A little bit off the beaten path, but mm-hmm. with the Cardinals baseball game downtown. Mm-hmm. That's an okay thing. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday, back at the old cathedral with mm-hmm. the closing mass with mm-hmm. Archbishop Rosansky. But a lot's mm-hmm. happening in between. Yes. So wh- what will be happening? I mean, it's easy to think mass and mass, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what goes on in between? Well, especially on Friday, yes. I, <laughs> not that I could dictate when the relics were going to come here, but I was envisioning, because I think we... I can't even remember how many months ago we were approached about uh, having the relic stop here. And I had said at that point, why don't we do this in May? So I'm at the Mary number one. We still got grade schools going on, et cetera. That'd be a great opportunity for kids to come down. Well, you know, (laughs) I was thinking of myself and not the the broader picture here. So, of course, they're coming here on a weekend when we have a baseball game every single day. And we have a wedding at the Oak Cathedral on Saturday. So, but, you know, it's a parish church and it's a live living parish church and it's in the middle of a city. So we got to. Uh, take what we've got. But um, yes, for example, on Friday, we have canceled, first of all, the uh, 1210 Mass. We'll have just the regular parish Mass at 7 in the morning, and then we have the welcoming Mass with Bishop Rufatuso, as you mentioned, at 9. And then literally, it is just an opportunity for people to come in and venerate the relics. Now, during that time, though, 11.30 to 1.30, we're going to have the opportunity for confessions. There will be the rosary that will be said a couple of times during that period. It's interesting because this has really brought all these various parishes where these relics have been hosted. They're all kind of coming together in communication-wise because we have been in communication with four or five parishes that have already hosted these relics to kind of give us an idea of how it went there and maybe some things that they wish they would have done that maybe we should think about doing, et cetera. So it's been kind of neat that it's brought that those different parishes together. But one thing that they have consistently said is the... I'm not sure the word used to describe it, but what an awesome thing the Lord's Pilgrimage Virtual Experience is. And that's going to be on Friday evening at the Oak Cathedral, and it's by reservation only, so you have to go on the website and, and register. But it's a, it's a visual, uh, virtual presentation. So, But from what has been conveyed to us, it is as if you were at Lord's on pilgrimage in Lourdes. They're going to have actual rocks from the grotto that are going to be there. They're sending holy water from the spring, and that will be used at Mass, but there will also be the opportunity for people to come up and to actually bless themselves with the holy water from Lourdes. And then when that is finished, we're going to go on a rosary candlelight procession on the arch grounds, and it will be up on the, I'm not a good descriptor of this, but We're not going down the stairs to the river from the arch, but it will be up at the arch level where those stairs are, where you're looking out over the river. So it should be a very powerful, every parish though that has done this has said it is an amazing thing. That is something to imagine, just the rosary procession Mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. the arch grounds. I've been part of many a candlelight rosary procession Mm -hmm. and they are always 
beautiful. So then on Saturday, the relics come to the Cardinal Regali yes. Center, and it's a somewhat similar schedule that there yes. will be time for veneration throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, Monsignor Whit mentioned in our first segment, a movie we should check mm-hmm. out is The Song of Bernadette, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. will be mm-hmm. streaming throughout yep. the day. Yes as well. And then on Sunday, back to the old cathedral with a time for veneration, the rosary again, and then a mass of thanksgiving and rite of farewell with Archbishop Rosansky at 5 p.m. Yes. So I guess the big question that we have not answered yet, because we keep talking about coming to venerate the relics, this is something that maybe our listeners aren't familiar with. I mean, we see relics Mm -hmm. in our parish churches from time to time. A relic is an actual, if it's a first class, an actual Mm -hmm piece of the saint's bone or hair or something like that. But how do we actually venerate a relic? Because we get a little bit of a misconception as Catholics. Oh, those Catholics, they worship the the saints. And it's like, no, we venerate. Right, exactly. So what will happen is, I mean, we're going to pray, and we probably should contact the Pink Sisters, because if you remember, when John Paul II here was at the end of January in 1999, I think they had been praying for months, and we had that unseasonably warm weather for January. I really need to probably contact them to pray for unseasonably cool weather (laughs) during the first part of July, especially what we've been experiencing the last couple of weeks. But we're going to try to fit as many people into the church as possible. So the way we have it worked out, we should be able to fit about 110 people snaking through the church at various times. And, you know, you're in a church. The rosary will be said at different times. So you can kind of put yourself in this kind of prayerful, meditative state. And then once you get up to the relics, the relics are going to be on the east side altar in front of the uh, picture of St. Louis in front of the crown of thorns. And the relics are up there in a, it's a very big case. They told us that it weighs about 150 pounds. And there'll be a, you know, pray to in front where you're then able to spend, I don't know, we have to see what the crowd looks like. I know when I was at the... uh, Holy Sepulcher a few years ago you walked in and you were able to say about a Hail Mary and then they moved you out because they had to keep the line rolling so it it might be something like that where you're able to say a Hail Mary and then you're moving on or you might the crowds aren't that big you might be able to spend a little bit of a longer time but of course you're going to be praying that through the intercession of uh, Bernadette you know we can be more like the Blessed Mother who appeared to Bernadette that we too can say yes to everything God uh, asks of us and in a very different way, I imagine this is something like all of the beautiful artwork in our churches. Yeah. It helps us focus yep. our prayer, yep. and yep. in this instance, focusing our prayer through the intercession yep. of St. Bernadette. Yep. Yeah. yep. Wonderful. Well, Father, I know that the masses, as and as you mentioned, the virtual presentation do require registration mm-hmm. online. Yes. Where can our listeners go to register? If they go to oldcathedralstl.org, when that page opens up, they will see right underneath the masthead, the very first thing that they're going to see is relics of St. Bernadette. There's a picture of her there, so they'll know when they're in the right spot. And then there is a button that you're going to click on, and that takes you over to the detailed schedule page. And within the detailed schedule, for example, on Friday, you'll see the time for the virtual Lord's experience. There is a link there that you will click and you will then be taken to the registration page. Pardon me, I kind of got out of sequence there. Same thing with the opening mass that would be at nine o'clock on Friday. Same thing with the closing mass on Sunday at five o'clock with Archbishop Brzezanski. So they really only have to click once and then there you are on the schedule. But then at the bottom of that page, I know you had Monsignor Witt already talking to you about the life of St. Bernadette, but there's also a link to life of St. Bernadette. There's also a link to the North American Lords Volunteers Association you can go to oldcathedralstl.org. There's other links down at the bottom that you can also go to learn more about the Relic Tour and St. Bernadette. Father, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Sure. Loving God, we thank you so much for the many gifts that you give to us. And as we talk about Bernadette, we thank you so much for the gift of Bernadette. We thank you for the gift of conveying to us the message that the mother of your son brought to us, prayer, penance, saying the rosary, devoting our lives to you. We ask that through the intercession of St. Bernadette, we, like our Blessed Mother, will always say yes to your will. And may the blessings of Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, I'll be back in the studio. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. 
We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. This week we continue our conversations with Dr. Scott Hahn as we begin this three-year process of Eucharistic revival. And if you missed the first two days, here's the summary. Our Lord gives us the Blessed Sacrament himself in the Eucharist and calls it the New Covenant. That was day one. We talked about the Old Testament, how the Old Testament shows us what is coming in the New Testament. And then our Lord clearly says, I am the New Covenant. Yesterday we were talking about the Paschal Sacrifice and how closely Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday are related and that without this being a sacrifice, it's just a meal and an execution and nothing more. And Dr. Han, you beautifully illuminated components of the Paschal Mystery for us yesterday. So I just want to turn it over to you and see where we're going to go today. Well, Adam, what I was thinking of was the name of your show, Roadmap to Heaven, because what better descriptive term could we use for sacred scripture? Because it really is a roadmap to heaven. And so it's important to study it and to understand it. But, you know, there's an old saying that map is not terrain. And so the map might be flat, but the terrain might be mountainous. And so it's not enough to study the map. It's not enough to memorize the map. Just like it's not enough to study the menu and memorize all of the the dishes, and even the ingredients, the recipe. No, you've got to eat the meal. You've got to share in the mystery of the new covenant. The roadmap is like a sign that points beyond itself to Christ himself in heaven, but on earth. And in the Mass, we have God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I would like to just trace the narrative arc once again, from Holy Thursday through Good Friday and Holy Saturday to Easter Sunday, and just reflect with our listeners for a moment or two about what Jesus chose to do with his first day back from the dead. Because think about it, you look back on what Jesus had gone through in Holy Week, how he had been abandoned, he had been denied, he had been betrayed, he had been falsely accused, he had been tortured, and then finally executed and buried. I mean, that's a lot. you know. And so he descends into Hades, and on Easter Sunday morning, it's his first day back from the dead, and we could just ask ourselves, if we were Jesus, what would we choose to do on our first day back from the dead? Well, I, I could make a list. I could think about dropping in on my Blessed Mother. I would think about dropping in on Pontius Pilate and asking him to show me those hands and just see how clean you wash them, indeed, you cynic, and then maybe drop in on Caiaphas or or, or Annas and hover over the Sanhedrin and just tell them, I'm back. Uh, and uh, things are not going to go easy for you unless you repent. But what our Lord chooses to do on his first day back from the dead is revealed in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, where that morning he meets up with two disciples who don't even recognize him. And after a brief exchange, what are you talking about? Oh, Jesus, Nazareth, we had hoped, but they had lost hope, and some women from our company came back, but you know, some women... And you can just tell that there's still a wash in the sea of doubt when Jesus, you'd think, might offer some words of comfort and consolation, cheer up, it's not as dark as you think, trust me. But instead, he he adds insult to injury. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things before entering into his glory? And they're thinking, no stranger, what was necessary was that the enemies of the Christ should have been doing all of the suffering. You don't know anything, except that he does go on, beginning with Moses and the law and all of the prophets he interpreted them and all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, that's a seven-mile walk, but it's not a straight road. It's not a flat road. It's long and windy and hilly. So it would have taken hours and hours to go through the law and the prophets to show in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself that must have been the single most exciting Bible study ever in salvation history. I'm not sure why God did not allow recording technology to be invented yet, but there you have it. So the answer to the question, what would you choose to do on your first day back from the dead, is supplied by Jesus himself. And on the surface, we might say, wow, he obviously has a case of misplaced priorities. You know, teaching Scripture to two people who don't even recognize him for hours and hours mile after mile, even though their hearts are burning within them as he's opening the Scriptures, you'd think at one point he'd say, huh, doesn't this sound familiar? You know, they might say, where else have we heard this? But no, not until Emmaus, not until Jesus takes blessings, breaks, and gives, and that's the same fourfold action 
in Luke 24 that you find in Luke 22 when he instituted the Eucharist, but it's not a flashback for Clopas and his companion because they weren't numbered among the Twelve. This isn't a deja vu, like, where have we seen this before? This is how Jesus chooses to reveal himself, and in the process, this is how Jesus shows the fulfillment of the Old Covenant in the New is there in the Holy Eucharist. But just as St. Jerome said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ, you could also then derive something of a corollary and say, ignorance of Christ's real presence in the Eucharist is a form of biblical illiteracy. It's ignorance of Scripture. And this is what Pope Benedict also indicated, that we need to understand the narrative arc of the Old and New Covenant to see how it fulfills. It's fulfilled in Christ through the Holy Eucharist. But at the same time, we almost have to read backwards and go from the Eucharist to the New Testament back into the Old, because the Old Testament is like a story in search of an ending. It's unintelligible apart from the New and the fulfillment by Christ. But likewise, the New Testament, apart from the Old, is similarly unintelligible, because you're hearing about the fulfillment of all of these promises that you're barely aware of. And so what this enables us to do is to go back and recognize that Jesus didn't place too high of a priority on studying sacred scripture. No, we place too low of a priority. And to make this point even doubly obvious, when the two disciples circle back and return to Jerusalem, and they find the eleven, and they recount what had happened, who should suddenly appear on Easter Sunday late afternoon? Our Lord! And what does he do for the eleven? As we read at the second half, the finish point of Luke 24, he opens up the Scriptures, beginning with Moses, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, the Writings, all of the things concerning himself. So on his first day back from the dead, what does our Lord choose to do? Conduct two extensive Scripture studies. And these guys were not biblical ignoramuses. They'd grown up as devout Jews. They knew the Scriptures perhaps better than we do. But the fact is, they didn't really know it. They knew it only as a map, a road map to heaven, but they didn't know the journey would be so torturous, so sir, it would it would be so challenging. And what this, I think, conclude. I mean, this is the point that I want to conclude with, that Peter and the Ten, just like Clopas and a companion, were not converted on Easter Sunday in the sense that we use that term. They had been followers of Jesus. They had been disciples. They had been striving to be faithful. They had been striving to study and learn from the Law and the Prophets, just as Jesus, the greatest rabbi, ever taught them, but not until the Paschal Mystery, and not apart from the Holy Eucharist can you understand sacred Scripture, but look at the priority Jesus places upon the value and the power of understanding sacred Scripture to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And so what we've got to do is recognize two things. Number one, conversion is not something that is over and done in the past. It's not what happened to me when I was a juvenile delinquent at 14 who found Jesus. It's not what happened to me over 35 years ago when I found the Catholic Church and I became a Catholic. It's what happened to me this morning when I arose from the dead of sleep and I had to awaken not just to natural life, but to supernatural life. It's what has to happen every day, as Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, he must take up his cross daily. Cross is not a piece of jewelry. A cross is a heavy burden, but we always have the Holy Spirit to help us, and we have the Holy Eucharist to enable us to bear our crosses and to recognize we need to convert today as much as we did in every every other previous day of our lives. And so for us as Catholics, conversion is ongoing. It's ever-deepening, but it needs to be not only lifelong, but daily. And if it's a cross, it's never going to be easy. It's always going to be difficult. We can't do it on our own, but we're not on our own. That's what the Holy Eucharist is for. And so I would just conclude by saying, secondly, Besides ongoing conversion, we need the ongoing discipline of contemplative reading of sacred scripture. Not necessarily academic study, not necessarily academic degrees, that sometimes hinders more than it helps. But like little children who draw milk from Mother Church, we ought to draw the spiritual milk from sacred scripture and see how it is that the new is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new, but we're not just connecting the old and the new. We're not just connecting sacred Scripture with the Holy Eucharist. We're connecting Scripture and the sacraments with our everyday lives. 
with our marriages and our families and our prayer life and our daily struggles with our sins, our weaknesses, our addictions, and all of the things that remind us that we need the grace of conversion today as much as we've ever needed it before. Dr. Hahn, I like to think that I'm a relatively intelligent person, and I know that you are a very intelligent person. I've read many of your books, and I've seen your credentials, and yet I wonder how often you and I find ourselves in the same place as those disciples where something is just very clearly before us, and here we are putting our, our feet in our mouths saying, well, wait a minute, I, I didn't think that's what you meant, Lord. I didn't, I didn't think that's what you were talking about, and how he still continues to open the scriptures to us. So I would love to thank you for helping us out here over these past three days, as, again, as we begin this three-year process of Eucharistic revival here in the United States. And friends, I want to invite you, if you'd like to hear more, um, Dr. Hahn has a great resource for all of us in the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you go to stpaulcenter.com, that's stpaulcenter.com, resource after resource after resource on the scriptures, on our faith, videos, Bible studies, books, and even an event coming up, uh, the, the 2022 July Virtual Conference, Be Strong and Courageous. Dr. Hahn, I wonder if before we let you go, if you could just share a, a brief word about that, because I know that's something I'm looking forward to taking part in virtually in the next couple weeks. Yeah, it is our third Priests Conference of 2022. And it's the first time we've ever done three. We've been doing priest conferences as the St. Paul Center going back to 2005. We almost invariably end up with a waiting list, even though we have more than 200 priests. This year, we're going to have six to 700 priests going through these three retreats. And this is the third and final one at the Ogle Bay Resort in July of 2022. And invariably, what I hear from the priests at the end is, why did I never learn to read the Bible this way in seminary? We approach Scripture the more, the, more like the way you approach a cadaver as a med school student. You know, you, you dissect. It's an autopsy of sorts. And so what we want to do is to give them what they signed up for. They wanted sacred Scripture like Clopas and his companion got it. Did not our hearts burn within us? But it's not just for the clergy who are going to be present. It's also for those who are going to be watching, as you mentioned, online and this virtual conference be strong and courageous and let me also echo what you said about the saint paul center because we've been in existence for 21 years we have over 40 full-time co-workers and reading scripture from the heart of the church is our mission biblical literacy for lay people biblical fluency for clergy you know this is what it's all about but in especially the eucharist we have the thing called the real presence project you can go online at stpaulcenter.com and find the Bible and the Mass, 10 lessons I did on DVD. You can also find Promise and Fulfillment, and a number of other talks that I've given in parishes that you have focusing on the Eucharist. But I also should say, just to wrap it up, that uh, what we have been doing together in these three days is what, I would be, what I've been doing for the last 20 years or so in what I call the Eucharistic Trilogy, my three favorite books out of the 40 to 50 that I've done. The first one is The Lamb's Supper. The second one is the fourth cup, and the third one is consuming the Word. And what I've been trying to do in our conversation these last three sessions is to summarize and synthesize what I feel like our Lord gave me. You know, and it, it, it's fun to share, but it must have been fun for that donkey to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. Just make sure, donkey, you don't forget who they're applauding for. You know, and that's why I would also conclude by saying, please, please pray for me, for my marriage, for our six kids, for our 21 grandkids, especially for Father Jeremiah, and for all of my brothers and sisters who work with us at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. Because, Adam, if all of your listeners pray for me and for all of us, that's more than sufficient supernatural payback. Indeed. And, and if I could join in on that, I will be praying for you. And, and listeners, I again, please pray for Dr. Hahn and the staff at the St. Paul Center. And pray for your priests and your pastors and, and for us here at the radio station. We all need your prayers to continue this good work uh, of forming ourselves. Because much like you listeners, I'm on the road too. I'm, I'm not the expert. I am just walking 
this journey with you in faith. And Dr. Scott Hahn, I cannot thank you enough for taking this time over the past three days with us. And I look forward to all of the great things that continue to come out from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. We're going to pause here to take a break on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. It's time to stop on this Thursday for our Daily Dose of Encouragement. And this week, Patty Schneier has been sharing timeless lessons from timeless women. Patty, I look forward to learning our lesson today. Well, today we're going to look at a woman who does not have a name. She's just the maidservant. And I shouldn't say just. She is the maidservant in the courtyard um, from Holy Thursday night after Jesus has been arrested. And she's there with Peter. And Jesus has just been taken into and he's going to be in front of the Sanhedrin. And this maid servant is is really important. But often when we read through the Passion on Palm Sunday and on Good Friday, we're so focused on Jesus and we're focused on Peter, of course, where he denies Jesus three times, that we miss out on the lesson of this maid servant. So what is her lesson? Well, she comes out and she looks at Peter and she says, you too were with the Nazarene Jesus, but Peter denies it. And then she goes out in the courtyard and says to the other people, she's like, this man was with him. And she starts going, I know your accent even gives you away. So she keeps trying to let people know that Peter is with Jesus. Now, why is this important? Well, she's 100% correct with the facts. She's right. Peter is with Jesus. She's right. Peter is a Nazarene. She's right. His accent gives him away. And she wants to be right. And she wants to make her point known. And she even gets Peter to break down and weep and run out. So she actually wins the argument, so to speak. She busts Peter. But was there ever a woman who was so wrong as to what was going on and missing out on who was there, Jesus and Peter? So in her desire to be right and in her desire to make her point known, all she's doing is keep saying that over and over and over again, and she misses out on the opportunity to actually have an encounter with Jesus and to know who Peter really is. And I have to ask myself all the time, how often am I that maid servant in the courtyard where I know I'm right, I want to be right, and I want to make my point again and again and again, and I want to bust whoever it is and make them see it my way. And in the end, it doesn't matter if I'm right. If my tone is wrong, if I'm missing out on the, the real situation that's going on, not having compassion. So today, if you're trying to be right all the time, maybe take a step back and look and learn the lesson from this maidservant in the courtyard. It's not always necessarily the best thing to just be right. I have never thought of that passage of scripture in this way, and I'm floored by this. This is a remarkable lesson for us today, and I'm very grateful for it. Patty, thank you. And so here is our catequiz question as we finish up the show today. What liturgical color symbolizes joy, innocence, and triumph and is worn on feasts of our Lord and memorials of saints who were not martyred? What liturgical color symbolizes joy, innocence, and triumph and is worn on feasts of our Lord and memorials of saints who were not martyred? I'll narrow down the choices for you here because it's not even the, uh, the box of crayons that I just bought for my kids on the back-to-school shopping list. Uh, your choices are green, violet, white, red, or gold. All right. Well, the answer, if you're curious, is white uh, or gold, either one. White and gold are pretty much interchangeable. Um, really, the, the four colors of our liturgical seasons, we've got green. We've got, for ordinary time, we've got violet for Advent and Lent. We, we do have rose on Laetari and Gaudete Sunday. It's not violet. It's not the white color of joy of Christmas and Easter. It's halfway in between. When you mix violet and white together, you get rose. And uh, that's why halfway through Lent, halfway through Advent, we have the rose-colored vestments. And then uh, for the martyrs, we have red. Uh, you know, often, easy way to remember that is martyrs shed their blood for the faith. And what color is blood? It's red. And then we have white for days of joy, triumph, innocence, feasts of our Lord, memorials of saints who are not martyred. There is another color we haven't talked about, black. Black is a, a color you might see at a funeral. It is a vestment. Um, I, I've seen some beautiful black vestments in my day at funerals and at mass on All Souls Day. So not one you see often, but one that is out there as well. And actually, there's a beautiful, if you ever go to 
the new cathedral here in St. Louis, the, the Cathedral Basilica on Lindell Avenue. Not to be confused with the old cathedral, which we were talking about earlier on the show today, down in the museum. I want to say it's a vestment set. I think it belonged to Bishop Rosati. Don't quote me on that. Um, that I, I would fail the catechiz on that one if you quoted me on that. But it's a beautiful black vestment set. And in the stitching and the embroidery on it, there are so many things that, you know, you have to be up close to see it, which in, in the old days at Mass, you would not have been close enough to see it unless you were maybe the altar server uh, or the acolyte or the deacon. Um, but in, included on it is a depiction of our Lord on the cross and the soldiers casting lots for his garments, if I remember correctly. I, I just, I'd often stop and look at that back when I used to uh, have occasion on frequent occasion to go into the museum. Well, we want to remind you that as much as I've been confused about the days of the week, even in today's show, uh, when we say the, the relic veneration of St. Bernadette is coming soon, that's actually tomorrow. Um, I, I've been forgetting all morning that July 8th is tomorrow. So there is still time to register for the opening mass, for the virtual pilgrimage, and for the closing mass at oldcathedralstl.org. I do hope that if you're able to, um, this is really a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I I remember going to venerate the relic of St. John Vianney's heart when it uh, was here in St. Louis. And it was just, uh, you know, it's such a peaceful, prayerful experience. And if you go into it with that mindset, I think you, you will very much appreciate taking the time to do it. Tomorrow morning on the show, we're going to have a little bit of a roadmap roundup. Dan Vonderhaar and Angela Miller will be with us here in studio. We're also going to have a, a little conversation and some words on one of my favorite subjects uh, when we talk about the road to heaven. Do you ever struggle with road rage? You know, guilty as charged is what I would say to you right now. So, uh, well, if we all struggle with it, from time to time, how do we address it, and what is important for us to remember? That'll be one of our topics and more, so you'll have to tune in for that. And then, uh, you know, there's just so much coming up here on Roadmap to Heaven next week. Well, I'm not even going to get into next week. I just know John Martinoni will be with us. Uh, Father Kirby's going to be with us. We're going to continue our conversation with Kristalina Everett. And as a little bonus, we're going to start walking through the Marian apparitions of the last 100 years next week. So join us for that. Let's round up the day here in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to thank Father Nicholas Smith for welcoming us to his office to talk about the Relic Tour today, and Monsignor Michael Witt for giving us that biography of St. Bernadette, and most especially Dr. Scott Hahn for spending the last three days with us helping us break open the mystery of the Eucharist and the scriptures. Ah, what a gift it was. So be sure to share this episode once it goes up in podcast form with your friends. You might know someone who needs to hear it today. Until next time for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Roadmap to Heaven. And don't forget to pray your rosary today.